Welcome to Damn Fine Commentary, the internet's only Twin Peaks podcast with a real-life Dave and Lynch. In this series, we'll be reviewing and chatting about each of the 18 parts of Twin Peaks Season 3. So as they say in the Black Lodge... Here we are again. It's Damn Fine Commentary with Dave and Lynch. I'm Phil Willis. I'm Nav Prasad. I'm Steve Lynch. And we will be joined by Dave Bluestein very shortly to give us... <laughs> well, we've been laughing that, like, oh, how can you give a plot synopsis of this? And we were talking about part three was one of these weird, non-linear, crazy episodes, and we're thinking, how is Dave going to cope with this? How's Dave going to cope with this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Dave, talk us through it. We, we literally cannot wait. Wow. So episode eight, huh? Um, part eight is a difficult episode to recap without conjecturing all over the place like a vomiting transdimensional Genesis alien. So I'm going to make this a brief one and leave as much of the analysis as possible to the rest of you. It begins with Bad Coop and Ray having left prison in Buckhorn in a car given to them by the warden. The end of last episode. Cooper disables the tracking devices and tells Ray they're headed to the farm, uh, wherever that is. Once off the road, he tries to kill Ray for that information he had in his head, but Ray's pulled a double cross, shoots Bad Coop dead instead in the guts with a gun, sort of. Uh, and this is where the next 50 minutes of what the fuckery really begins. So there's flashing lights, an army of ghostly woodsmen appear, dancing around Bad Cooper, digging into his gutshot belly and spreading the blood on his face. There's a giant sack or egg in his belly that they're digging out, and it's got Bob's face on it, as in Frank Silver himself, right? Ray's a little freaked out, so he dives back in the car and calls Philip from the road, telling him it's all gone to hell. Then we're over at the roadhouse, which has seriously upped its game with The Nine Inch Nails performing, and that's how they credited The Nine Inch Nails, performing their recent uh, song, She's Gone Away, and Bad Coop wakes up, or whatever that body is now that Bob's no longer in it. Uh, then we flash back to July 16, 1945, White Sands, New Mexico, the Manhattan Project, which we last saw on Gordon Cole's wall in glorious black and white. Uh, we push into the heart of the explosion. And the best way to explain what happens next is it's like Disney's Fantasia, but with less hippos doing ballet and more a free-floating experiment model. You know, the, the creature who ripped the teens to pieces in New York, vomiting eggs and a bob sack through the rip in time and space caused by the nuclear warhead. In fact, this whole sequence feels like a brick to the brain that recategorizes everything you thought you knew about the mystery and mythology of the show with a clear but abstract light and logic. And I, may, I might be way off base here, but I think we're seeing what Firewalk With Me really means. So the magician who longs to see is Oppenheimer, the calling out between two worlds is the explosion melting the barrier between our world and theirs. Uh, in this sequence, we also see a convenience store, but uh, not one with a visible room upstairs flitting back and forth through time as woodsmen walk around it. More fire and what looks like blood cells until we end up at that building in the Purple Ocean. Inside that building, which might be the White Lodge, it's certainly where the giant hangs out with a woman called Senorita Dido, uh, they're alerted to Bob's breach. So the giant floats up into the air and gives birth to a golden cloud from his brain that coalesces into a ball. And inside that seems to be Laura Palmer's face, or at least someone who looks like her. And Senorita Dido sends that off to Earth. You with me? All right, we move forward to 1956 and the woodsmen are tra uh, descending to Earth. One of those eggs hatches into a frog cockroach creature, a, a frog roach, if you will. Uh, the woodsmen approach a middle-aged couple in their cars with got a light, got a light, but the couple scream and drive off. Meanwhile, an all-American boy and girl come home from a dance, which may or may not have taken place in the same convenience store, which is now a community hall or dance venue. The boy walks her home and whines until she lets him give him a small kiss, uh, give her a small kiss, and then goes inside and listens to the radio in her room. 
The woodsman approaches a radio station and squeezes the heads off the people who work there and turning into the microphone, this is the water and this is the well, drink full and descend, the horse is the white of the eyes and dark within, which puts everyone to sleep. Uh, I wouldn't put me to sleep, but there you go. Including that girl from the sock hop, allowing the cockroach toad to climb into her mouth. And then as the woodsman walks away from the radio station, we hear a horse. So I hope that all makes sense because uh, I wash my hands of it and I'm just hanging out now for episode nine. Well, there you go. I don't know how literal or figurative or impressionistic we can be about this thing, but this is a real... This is the TV that we've been waiting for. I just I just remember that fond day where I watched episode one with two people getting murdered by an alien in a glass box in New York City after not having spoken a word for four and a half minutes of screen time, thinking, gee, this is weird TV. <laughs> And now... We have no idea. I know. And that was Leave It to Beaver. Especially, <laughs> well, especially after the very, you know, quite straightforward um, part seven the week before, um, where we, after we'd sort of talked about non-linear storytelling, it was probably the most linear story we had, most sort of traditional in terms of a crime procedural format. Uh, and he com- Lynch has just completely turned it on its head this week. Yeah. At the start of the episode, the very, very first scene where... Bad Coop and Ray are driving in the car and there was music in the background. Yeah. Mm. And I thought, okay, we've really turned a corner now. Clearly Lynch has started ultra weird with no music whatsoever, just ambient noise. Yeah, yeah. And he's slowly but surely dragging us into a conventional place once he's put all the cards in place. And that was my thought process of that. I was like, okay, we've we've turned a corner. It's um, I'm not judging when it's weird and when it's good, but we've... We've now got into a very normal part. He's like the Pied Piper that way, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I was. <laughs> He's leading into the river. He led me to the river big time. Yeah, well, he he did the thing where um, they always say in negotiation techniques, you must shock with your first offer, uh, <laughs> and to put the other person on the back foot, and then they say, "Oh, okay, hey, well, hang on, hang on, okay, I will." In that case, I can tolerate that as an outcome. So uh, they, I I always thought that you know somehow that. Part three was, or even like the first part of part one, was shocking with your first offer. Mm. Is you put something out there that's so weird and bizarre and bonkers that you say, "Yeah, no, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding." Like seriously, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and you get a beautiful, straightforward, straight out of Twin Peaks series one episode, like part seven. And the response to that, he just counter punches with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just phenomenal. So, look, just talking us through where we're going. Look, there's a couple of things that bother me about this. Okay, so. Mr. C and Ray, they're in the car. Mr. C somehow has a magical app that not only detects bugs in his car, <laughs> but removes them and um, teleports them onto a different truck or something like that. Yeah, did you have any thoughts on that? I'm well, look, uh, yeah, I watched it twice, couldn't work out how he did it. Then again, I have to be honest, and can't really work out how Lorraine shrunk a mobile phone in on the other side of the world a couple of episodes true, ago. True, true. So, yeah. and also, <laughs> if anyone's going to have some weird otherworldly abilities, it's probably the dude from another world. Yeah. So this so, is the phone, though, that he was given by Warden Murphy, wasn't it? Well, I presumed he was given it back, like, the same way that you get your belt buckle back and everything that you submitted when you put were input in jail I'm guessing oh so he was back. just returned his phone as yeah. opposed to given a new one the only thing that I can think of is when he said I need a friend in the glove box I assume he was returning a condom <laughs> <laughs> that's totally no plant oh, he doesn't that, we'll talk about that might that. be your friend in the glove box <laughs> and the, never leave home with that that's right no the um the one thing we can talk about this a bit later I think Cooper is Mr. C's uh He's he wants to put his seed into the world. We can talk about where, like some of maybe he's fathered some of the characters that we've already seen uh, in Twin Peaks so far. But 
in terms of the friend in the glove box, presumably, I read it was a gun in the glove Mm. box, but it turns out either the warden or Ray has done a switcheroo. He thinks he's got the upper hand. Yeah. It's Ray. It's got to be Ray because Ray says something about... uh, Ray basically says something that suggests that he had anticipated that Mm. Coop was going to pull a gun. I tricked you. Yeah. Yeah. Then again, I also... But I don't know how. Like I don't they know were, how they were together for either. the whole time. Was, yeah, you're in the driver's seat and mm. you've reached across in front of the passenger yeah. seat, opened the glove box, pulled out the gun, swapped the live bullets with blanks yeah. and also managed to get your own yeah. gun. Uh, no, no, I think... I think so the warden, it must be the warden. I reckon the warden has to... Because the warden seemed to let him go pretty, pretty easily. I reckon the warden has nodded to Ray... And said, I'll give you the real gun. Take care of this. Having said that, Mr. C has already said, don't double cross me. That's exactly right. Because there's three dog legs that are going to hit somebody somewhere if mm. if it all turns to worms. So he's risking three dog legs mm. by setting this thing up. So there's a bunch of craziness. Anyway. In any, anyway. Maybe in, it's like John Wick where once, <laughs> once he killed the warden's dog, like all bets are off. He's like, I don't care if you tell them about yeah. Joe McCluskey. You should never have killed Mr. Strawberry. You yeah. Mr. Strawberry, you fucking panic. Yeah, exactly. Either way, that, that tracking device is not tracking Bad Coop anymore. It's no. tracking some truck that's going to Idaho or yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this is where stuff gets weird. So this is a this is an absolute throwback to the last episode of Series 1 where we see Cooper get shot at, you know, at close range. Yeah. And he doesn't die. And, it's a, and then true. first episode of uh, that's a very good Series point. 2... Minions and uh, people from another place are coming to make sure that he's okay and he's revived. And oh, and Coop was yeah. wearing a vest. Yeah, this guy's not wearing. He's just wearing a vest. Of, he's wearing a vest of Bob of yeah. Woodsman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, which uh, on the Woodsman, I think we can now officially uh, abandon the theory that I brought up last week that the Woodsman <laughs> might, the charcoal guy, might possibly be Major Briggs's head. <laughs> yeah, no. He's got a lot of heads in that case. No, yeah. so it, right. it was probably it was one of your more far fetched theories. Yeah, to be fair. yeah, I do. I, I, was, I was down with it. Although but, yeah. there is, I did. Uh, I have read a theory that the got a light woodsman mm. um, who yeah. bears a striking resemblance to a very sooty Abraham Lincoln mm. um, could be Margaret Landerman's husband. Yes, yes, I I'd heard that. I'm um, not well. Phil's not buying it. I'm not. No, I'm not buying it. I'm open to the. I also don't buy it, just mainly because I've always thought that there's a pretty strong sense of the, who's right and who who's who's Black Lodge dwellers, and I, I can't imagine Margaret Lanterman's husband. He met the devil. He the met evil. the devil. He did meet the devil he in the smoke, the but he devil. wasn't the devil in the smoke. I think that these guys are little devils that just come out of like it seems like their primary mission when Cooper goes down is not to save Cooper, although he does resuscitate in the end and sort of sits bolt upright. Maybe after hearing Nine Inch Nails, um, but the main thing they're there to do is make sure it's almost like Cooper's gone down. Quick, make sure the Bob's okay. It's a Bob extraction. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's the Bob Squad. Black Hawk down. Quick, so, let's get yeah. let's, let's get Bob out. Quick, like literally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens there in terms of is so is, is Bob truly no longer with Bad Coop? Yeah. Um, and how how bad Coop going to take that? Is he going to be like, oh, oh, oh Bob, come no. back? And it's not the same with you. He won't be so bad anymore. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. He's um, he does... looks a little bit different after he comes to. 
You reckon? Yeah, I just thought his skin didn't look so scaly and... Well, he's covered in his own blood. No, 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 no. Even if you look past that. Uh, Okay. I I don't Uh, know. I'm not... I don't know. I didn't want to read too much into it. Other than the fact that the person on the end of the phone who purports to be Philip Jeffries, who we all suspect probably maybe is not Philip Jeffries, he wants to be with Bob. Finally, I'll be back with Bob again. So maybe this is all part of his plan to... He needs to get Bob. So first thing, get rid of Cooper. There's $500,000 on the line if you do. Um, and let's take care of business and get Bob. And all of a sudden the <laughs> the paramedics, the paranormal paramedics step on and they get in and quick, hut, 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 yeah. quick and, let's and, get Bob out. And Ray's starting to try and put pieces together because whoever he calls, um, Philip, I've got in Jeffrey's question mark, Yep. Ray says, I think he's dead, but he's found some kind of help, so I'm not 100%. I saw something in Cooper. It may be the key to what this is all about. Mm. Yeah. And either way, if Cooper's heading to the farm, apparently that's where this guy's going as well. So they'll they'll meet again at some point and have their sh- another showdown. I'm kind this. of hoping that that might be a segue for Big Ed to come back, given he runs Big Ed's gas farm. Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's very far-fetched, but I'm just desperate to see Ed. Oh, well, I think we all are. Yeah, we've yeah. already seen. Oh yeah, uh, and we know that he's. We've seen a little smattering of him in one of the trailers. He's in the cast list, and he's definitely in the cast list. Yeah, Ooh. so there you go. Um, we've seen Norma, and we've seen uh, Nadine. So yeah, yeah. missing piece there. Yeah. Um, the missing piece in that Trinity. I am mm. loving Trinity. Oh, oh, right. So I guess that's where we segue into. Well, no, no, no. Let's. We'll come back to Trinity. We've got to come back to Trinity. We've got. We've got to talk about Trent Reznor. We've got to talk about the Nine Inch Nails. Do yeah, we? Exactly. <laughs> we do. I look, when, my, my notes look here at were, you giving away your age. You're like, <laughs> what's this rock and roll, roll music? We don't have to talk about it for too long, but yeah. a couple of things are really interesting. One is that this is the first time that a band is introduced mm. at the Roadhouse yes. by some vaudevillian looking yeah. black entertainer. So, and, an, and that a MC, fourth person of colour, I think, mm. maybe. Yeah, that MC reminded me of the figure in the Black Lodge in the finale of season two, yep. yes. which I think was a bit more of an androgynous character. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it really had that strong yeah, sense yeah, yeah. about it. Was it the singer that was singing under the sycamore trees? Yeah. 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 That, yeah. that yeah. one. Yes. Yes. Mm. Quite right. Um, and then also it's the Nine Inch Nails. And clearly mm. this is a bad, I mean, how did the Nine Inch Nails, like seriously, wh- Jacques Renaud must be running a hell of a lot of coke to be able to pay for <laughs> Jean-Michel They're to getting get paid the, um, in underage prostitutes, I think. Or, or, yeah, exactly. Maybe they were where their 15-year-olds ended up. Oh, I think the more relevant question is, given that Nine Inch Nails are mainly a band from the 90s, everyone knows that if they were going to be playing live, it would be them playing their original album in all its entirety. <laughs> <laughs> Nine Inch Nails Pretty playing the heat of 45-year-olds and they're doing the downward spiral. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, there, there weren't any Twin Peaks favourites in the crowd that I could see. No, no. no. Um, this is a whole bunch of randoms. The crowd yeah. were getting into it and I had a quick look at the... Um, Look, I know you sort of like poo-poo me old granddad. I've seen Nine Inch Nails live. They were fantastic. Hey, me too. Uh, yeah, right. There we go. I've Let got... me guess you saw them in Philadelphia. No, no, no. I saw them at the big day out in Sydney. Ah, close oh. to me. Alternative Nation. Oh. Uh, With nice. me, I think. You might have been there. I think so, yeah. Hey. I don't know if we... Maybe we didn't even know each other at that point. I don't know. No. But if I had a look at the Nine Inch Nails track, it's not. I thought it might have been specifically written for uh, for the for the episode. No, it was, it's not, that, it was from an EP that they released last year. Was yes, it? yes. Yeah. So December last year they released an EP, and um, so the track there. Now you've probably got it written down. It's, it's like she's, she's, gone, she's away. gone away. She's yeah. gone away. And now you've been awesome with the lyrics of a lot of these songs. Is there any meaning in? You dig in places till your fingers bleed. Spread the infection while you spill your seed. I can't remember what she came here for. I can't remember much of anything anymore. Dougie, 
Well, you, you know, and I want to say bad and bad Cooper's you, trying your to spread. Head's got yeah, that's that's, 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 well, that's exactly right. Yeah, right. Um, spread the infection while you spill your seed. That may be a reference. Well, you know, you could read experiment and vomiting that umbilical cord that had the black orb with um, Bob in it. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm also thinking that my theories uh, of bad Coop trying to impregnate as many women as he can to try and ensure that his seed survives, his you know, inheritance survives on the earth is, is part of that as well. So, but ha- why, don't we, that- why don't we segue to that? Because um, the, we're, we're going to go all over the shop with the, the plot of this one. Yeah. So I, I, I want to hear about this theory of yours. So I came up with something in the week. On reflection, I don't know how, how uh, true it's going to be, but I've got a feeling that the rigid horn, so in... I want to say part six, the part where we had Doc Haywood on the Skype screen, mm. Doc Haywood said, yeah, I remember that night, yeah. Um, Cooper checked himself out from the intensive care mm. and he went to visit Audrey, who was in a coma from the bank blast. Well, he thought yeah. he'd gone to visit Audrey. He wasn't sure. Yeah. He, so having said that, 25 years later, we've got someone called Richard Horn on the scene and he's a dark, menacing badass. So there's, there's a possibility that Mr. C could have fathered that child mm. then while, while Audrey's in a, in a coma oh why would, you, why, a, would you, why would you let that stop you that is a dick move from from doppelganger it is it's it born a dick though yeah that's right it, yeah yes. um so yeah oh yeah look, it's dark I'm not saying it's not it's not yeah it's okay pretty, uh, that, right, that one I can that I can buy yeah right the second one I'm thinking is the young man that's in Diane Evans's apartment when Gordon Cole and Champ Hey champ, hey champ. FBI. <laughs> he's almost cheating like he's like he's a younger. He's obviously of a younger generation. Hey champ, FBI, let us in. Um, is that? We know that Mr. C and Diane probably had a meeting. Uh, it didn't was not a fun time for Diane. She's clearly yes. still mm. struggling with the trauma I of it all. Watched that episode, and I'm totally with Dave now. I'm like, how did I miss that? Yeah, that, that yep. seemed like yeah. it sucked. Yeah, um, is okay. that is is he the child of that? Um, that relationship or that or that um, rendezvous. Oh. So I'm so not 100 percent sure of that because I think I'm, their body language and their some of their stuff, the interaction is not. Yeah, that one I don't. Right. The idea of Diane having a toy boy. Yeah. So that's how I was. Well, you know, she's it, she's she's a cabaret. You know, it looks like a cabaret singer. Yeah. So. yeah. I, I'm not entirely sure I would buy that, and if that's what turns out to be the case, I'll be really disappointed. I got the feeling either that because something really bad had happened to her that maybe she was making relationship choices that she may not have otherwise. Yeah. Or this is some person who is a very close friend who has known her and has gone through all her shit with her. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And agree. And I think on rewatching some of those scenes where they interact, um, that probably also is the case. So, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I see your, your reasoning for it because yeah. it's all... Similar, it's like a prototype move of Dougie, is it? What yeah, is yeah. Like at some point, he's got to. He he knows that he's only on Earth for a limited time. He wants part of him to stay, or at least create a vehicle for Bob uh, to mm. stay. So this is one of the one of his options is: Can I just father a bunch of kids? Um, and there's the line in um, there's the line in the Nine Inch Nails song. Now I realise the Nine Inch Nails song is not written by Mark Frost. It's not written by David Lynch. So it is written by Trent Reznor, who is a long, t- who is a David Lynch collaborator. collaborator. He was very heavily on the Lost Highway soundtrack. Yeah. So maybe there's some and stuff that we're reading into there. Uh, but anyway. Yeah. And I mean, this you said this came out in an EP of theirs last yeah. December. So that means it predates the screening, but it certainly doesn't predate the shooting. Um, Correct. Yeah, or the writing of the script. Yeah, or, yeah true. So, yeah. True. All right. I guess we've got to get to the 
the most inexplicable, weird thing that we've seen so far, not just in this series, but on TV ever. ever. I, Absolutely. Yeah, I started out with, you know, what the fuck. Mm. Um, and I think I actually sent a text to the guys saying, um, my mind has been completely fucked with and I'm terrified. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but having watched this a couple of times since then, I can actually see it makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, there's total method to the madness here or method in the madness because even in on on first viewing I, I was the same as you know terrified I was just like I am not going to sleep tonight yeah. that's just messing with my head too much but within a, a couple of minutes I had a very clear understanding of what was being said or the yeah. plot so the, pl- the a very that's a bold statement. You had a very clear understanding of what was. I was going to say. I think you but might. Yeah. You might be one of the only people out there. Yeah, I mean, yes, it was told in a very slightly unconventional way. Because I'm not entirely sure that anyone will, other than David Lynch, will ever truly get what this episode I mean, is about. But. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but yeah. uh, if if I had to give the synopsis of this in ten words, we saw the birth of Bob and. Laura Palmer as some sort of vehicle for counterpointing. I'm so yes. glad none of us are Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave's got his work cut out for this episode. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, so but you're right. It's not incomprehensible. Yeah, and I think if you can look past the um, the, abs- the abstract visual storytelling, mm. you probably can actually see a, a story. Uh, you know, a story that's actually relatively easy to grasp. Mm. At yeah. a certain point, we are seeing um, the. Because a lot of uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost's um, mythology comes from this idea of there's a word for it, and I've never seen it, never heard it pronounced. I want to say it's Manichean or Manichaean or something like that. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, it is it is a sect of Gnosticism where it describes about how good and evil come into the world. How does why is there pain and suffering in a world mm. that was created by an omniscient? Omnipotent, omnibenevolent God. So it could be canned and above a convenience store. Yes, and made into government bazaar. So there's this entire um, sect of Gnosticism, which is all about how does good and evil come into the world? So we're talking about splitting, there's a duality. At the moment that we literally split the atom, we now split the universe into good and evil. And out of that, out of the birth of that, we get these, out of this cosmic womb that we see, uh, we could see this tunnel of light. And out of that is birthed both good and evil in these purest forms that we can muster, the purest form of evil that we can imagine, Bob, and this pure form of innocence and grace, uh, Laura Palmer. So I'm I'm wrestling with what all of this means. Um, insofar as there's a part of me that actually absolutely agrees that this is possibly a you know a, a birth of good and evil, but I can't believe. That birth, that good and evil were born in 1945. Yes, mm. yes. So I'm. There's another part of me that is thinking that. Well, was the the nuclear test at White Sands um, a? Did it open up a, a channel or a portal or something for thing for other for forces that are otherworldly to enter our world? I, I had I was same sort of wrestlings, you know, just wondering exactly how this how how we can explain this with not just what we know about human history, but also. Mm. Uh, some of the bits and pieces of law that we've seen in mm. other publications. So without going too spoiler heavy, the secret history of Twin Peaks book by Mark Frost that came out earlier this year or late last, last year, year yeah. um, certainly implies that uh, in the very earliest times of the first Caucasians, <laughs> uh, yes. 
that went through the Pacific Northwest uh, and the uh, Indigenous mm. American cultures that were there, the Owl Cave and the the Owl Ring even still existed even then. So yes. some tip of the hat to the existence of the lodges. So how does that interact with the idea of 1945 being a birth? What I wondered was maybe the fact that the atom bomb was the was the start of the human race being able to have one thing uh, that could create the biggest amount of pain and suffering yeah. that had ever been done in one place ever before. Mm. Mm. That's what created the the one denizen of the lodge that ended up having the momentum of his own mm. fury. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. other things might have created other denizens in the past and maybe they weren't much more than the... The mm. charcoal guys, the, the the chorus line of charcoal guys that we yeah. saw running yeah. around, who all they do is harvest yep. gum and bosia in the normal way. But yep. this epic step forward in horror that the human race is capable of is also what creates the the first spirit that is not just doing his job from now on, but is yeah. actively trying to yeah. And as much and I as also possible. feel that as, as separate point or a statement that Lynch is making is that the, that nuclear test was, it was really a theoretical exercise because the actual bomb was on its way to Hiroshima by, by this stage, sort of from what I from what I remember of history. Uh, but the, the soundtrack that Lynch has chosen to accompany this, this sequence of scenes is called Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima, mm-hmm. which was, you know, hey, you know, Americans, you might have thought this was a theoretical exercise, but like just a couple, a month or so later, there was a whole stack of people who died. Yes, yes, it has consequences and it was ongoing pain and suffering for the victims. Exactly. Um, yeah. There, so the I look, I agree that while there was pain and suffering in the world beforehand, this is definitely a um, this is a watershed moment where the scale at which you can inflict pain and suffering is now magnified on a, on a scale that we've never seen before, and of course, that's going to tear open. Uh, portals between worlds. And <laughs> of course it's, it is. Yeah, we, it's, it, this <laughs> all of a sudden now uh, there's so much uh, space for pain and suffering in the world that uh, mm. this is definitely going yeah. to excite the denizens of, of both lodges. Was there anything particularly in the, just while we're sort of talking about the the either the scenes where we've got the, the very Kubrickian um, 2001 sort of sequence that we need to talk about in particular, or should we move on to the convenience store, the gas station, and the woodsman running around? Or uh, the one bit about that little sequence that stuck with me the most was what seemed to be a, a piece of film that just was so utterly scratchy you could barely yes. see it. And I'd love to know whether that was something that he shot for this and created that effect, or whether it's an actual historical piece of film from something, whether it be from. Um, uh, a, a bomb site where there's been a lot of damage or a lot of fallout, or or if it was something that was just created for this. Are you thinking of a particular shot? Like I've got in my notes, I've got like I'm seeing insects, hair, galaxies, so, so bubbles, one sperm. Particularly the smoky orange scenes, you'll see there's quite a lot of black sort of dots on on the on what looks what I presume was celluloid was made to look like dots in a oh, celluloid. Oh yeah, right. So, like it's actually the film itself. Has yeah, been damaged, and so then right? I start. So with the benefit of hindsight, having known knowing what comes after with the giant 
question mark, question mark, question mark, watching all of this unfold on a screen, I sort of then started thinking, well, I wonder if that's actually what he was seeing when that part of that sequence was shown on that screen that the giant was watching. And then I got utterly confused. <laughs> oh, yeah, because we get that weird thing. I know we're jumping around, but the bit that I thought was just incredible. So we're sitting in the same way that we just watched three minutes of a guy sweep a room. We're now watching who knows how long of just this uh, abstract waves of colour and debris and sound and everything coming towards us. And then um, at some point later on, we see someone else watching that. And I made a note, wouldn't it be just like David Lynch to fuck with us to then screen that whole scene in real time again while we watch it? Well, you know, voyeurism and watching again, again, it's a recurring theme throughout throughout all of this. I couldn't believe it because I was watching it and I've got a pretty big screen at home. So I was watching it on a big screen and about three quarters of the way through, I levitated and all this gold shit. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So yeah, it was a really uncanny depiction. Incredible. You, the giant, and Leland Palmer. Mm. Um, We do get to see a bit of... What I think I can only presume is uh, the convenience store slash gas station. Mm. There's a lot of mm. smoke. There's a lot of light. The woodsmen are popping in and out. Uh, can we just safely assume, is this the convenience store gas station that Philip Jeffries was talking about or one of them if there's multiple of them? I think it would have to be one of them. Well, mainly because, yeah. well, I, I think uh, when you say Philip Jeffries, you mean Philip Gerard as Mike or Philip Jeffries? No, when Phil, didn't Philip Jeffries say, you know, when he comes in and says, we're not going to talk about Judy... They met in front of over top of a convenience store, and yes. he said that he infiltrated one of their meetings. And well, so I, I just assumed that was the convenience store that we had seen in Firewalk with me, but maybe there are others. The only problem I have with that is um, there's not much of a top level of. No, they weren't above. No, it, to be fair, to be no, fair, but, but if you look very closely to the right of the convenience store, so actually our left, looking towards it, um, there's a, there's stairs. Oh, okay. So stairs probably going up to the roof at that point, but remembering it's 1945, mm-hmm. um, it possibly there's a second story put on Maybe. later. Okay. But the other thing that also is that there are cans stacked. If you look through the window, there mm. are cans. Yeah, stacked. I saw those. Mm-hmm. Canning the corn. Wow, that's amazing. That's great. It actually reminded me, like you know, when they did those early nuclear tests, they used to they built like fake towns. Uh, around mm. the place just to see like what's going to be the effect of if we drop a bomb what happens to buildings what happened to bricks what happens to wood uh, and they had like fake mannequins mm. inside those it looked like one of those that's exactly what I thought it just was just because it looked like a set I thought of course it is like you know crossing the fourth wall it is a set um, yeah. but it looked like a set it was looked like um, this is one of those buildings that is about to just be destroyed in a wave of mm. wind and fire and gas uh, that we've seen you know in the historical footage of that stuff of course, there's also the idea that what we're seeing with the, the convenience store is still within the atoms. Like, we've gone... Because we saw a mushroom cloud and we went inside that. Mm. Yeah, right. And then we got to the subatomic level. Yeah, right. And we kept going inside mm. and inside mm. and then it flashed to the convenience store. I, a bit of me wondered if that convenience store was deep it's- inside... Um, on, a, on a theoretical rather than a, a physical level. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. It, yep. And it works on both levels because some of that stuff looks like a star field. It looks like the universe. It looks like, well, on what scale are we? Are we on our regular scale, on a microscopic scale or a macroscopic scale, um, which comes back to a lot of um, hermeticism and a lot of the stuff that Mark Frost is into. Uh, this idea is as above, so below. In other words, as, mm-hmm. the, as, uh, as is the cosmos, so is the microcosmos, the stuff that's... Uh, making us all 
But either way, it has a, del- a delightful student film aesthetic to it. I love yeah. it. It's all practical. Well, there's a lot of stuff there. I love the way that we, we, you know, I literally said maybe two or three episodes ago, oh, God, do you think they could spend some more money on special effects? I know. <laughs> I kept remembering that. That, that car bomb. Like, and I, I think I literally said that car bomb, they should have just, if instead of like the special effect they did, they should have just crossed to uh, a nuclear explosion and then come back to the burning bodies and just be done with it. Turns out they did. That's where they spent the money. uh, You you could have done this. (laughs) (laughs) So the the woodsmen that are coming in and out of the, or sort of bustling about the convenience store, are they all individual unique woodsmen or are they multiples of the three woodsmen that we see throughout this part? I saw saw one interesting theory on the internet. Oh, go Um, on. But it's linked to the secret history book and so it's not so much spoilers from the book um, because they're not giving anything away from the plot but uh, uh, someone pointed out that um, at any one time you freeze frame and at any one time there's only about eight uh, of the woodsmen all right so there's eight there's there seems to be eight and okay. there's uh, definitely more than eight on that screen but that's the thing is that when they paused it at any one time, there's only there's never because they're sort of flashing in and yeah, out of yeah, existence. Yeah. Um, and I, got to, I need to go test that out. 1907, Mayo, or 1902, possibly. I'm trying to look for the spot in the book. Uh, there was a fire in the newly established town of Twin Peaks, and there were eight victims. Ah, wow. And there was also something along... And the, this comes back to Margaret's husband, who died in fire. Yes, he did. Yeah. And he went on to become a woodsman. Yep. Maybe. I must say, though, this, this part in particular has sent me on all sorts of crazy tangents. So in addition <laughs> yeah. to going and sort of reading about the Trinity nuclear test, I then actually thought, hmm, this is 1945, there's a convenience store. With the convenience stores actually known as convenience stores back then. Oh, so then right. I went and researched the history of convenience stores. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. Which basically just shows I've had way too much time this week. Wow. Here we go. Uh, the night of the burning river. Uh, it happened in Twin Peaks on the night of February 24th, 1902. The log jam on the river caught fire, spread onto land, and the death count later rose to eight as two victims died from, contempla- from complications a few days later. Uh, and the caption of the photograph, the night of the burning river, man-made calamity or ancient curse? Boom. Ooh. Now, ancient curse seems to be... See, this is and, like, and this, is, this supports our theory of um, if you're going to bring pain and suffering in the world, like the biggest tragedy that you can imagine in 1902 is eight people dying in a fire, yeah, cursed yeah. or not. Not eight million or 800,000 people dying in a fire, or like a fiery atomic fireball. Like, oh, and you know. also, I mean, if you sort of think about something like cancer or, you know, sort of forms of cancer being one of the greatest evils on our society, mm. um, obviously clearly the victims of Hiroshima were sort of there was a lot of sort of, sort of blood cancers and other sort of cancers mm. um, generations post that. Plus also the town of, of White Sands or the people that lived around White Sands where the test was done. Mm. Um, there's a long been a long history of, of cancer sort of going through that very small community. I think it's only about 3,000 people or something. I think it's actually even just called a census district as mm. opposed to being an, an area per se. But just going back to White Sands for one second, Lynchy had a, a crazy theory about Dougie Milford perhaps having a greater role in this. So Dougie Milford, you know, mm. was the, the mayor of Twin Peaks and we saw him for a couple of episodes. Uh, mayor no, of Twin Peaks is and, and the owner of the Twin Peaks Gazette. Yes. Yes. So um, Dwayne is the, that's the right. mayor, the 140-year-old right. mayor. Yeah. <laughs> His brother, the 138-year-old yeah. cradle snatcher. Yeah, that's right. But I think in the secret history of in Twin Peaks, Dougie was originally stationed at White Sands before he went to Roswell. 
Ooh, yes, I think you're right. Again, this is not spoilers for plot, and I'm just sort of skimming over it now. Lynchy's got his head in his hands at this but, point. I'm, I'm desperately trying to get the get the exact nugget of of what the book is saying, but it really feels like it's too much to just be coincidence. There is a, a, a part in the book where they talk about uh, the Manhattan Project, which yep. is yep. obviously Trinity, which was culminates in Trinity. Yep. Uh, testing of the atom bomb. Once the Manhattan Project split the atom. The B reactor the government built at Hanford produced most of the plutonium used in the bomb dropped at Nagasaki, as well as in most of the nuclear weapons America mm. continued to manufacture throughout the Cold War. What this seems to be saying is that there is a link between the actual land that Twin Peaks is on and the uh, the where they built the reactors that built the stuff that was in the bomb. Right. Wow. So there is an actual... So not where they did the test, but where they did the manufacturing of the components. Where they manufactured the components. That's right. And Washington, Washington State, is uh, it is a hub for Boeing and the aerospace and military... And the defence industry. Uh, defence industry. Uh, so that's utterly unsurprising. Well, it's, it's fascinating, but unsurprising. So there's a whole stack of tangents and rabbit warrens that this episode has, has thrown up for all of us. Yeah. Yes. I'll stop reading the book now. I'm sorry. I'm Very good. All right. We, a couple of things we probably need to take care of. Let's just... The, so the biggest thing that we really... Out of all of this abstract... Kubrickian uh, fire and flames and everything that goes with that, there is very one, and it's not even very, it's symbolic, but it's pretty clear. We get to see uh, the character who I've been calling Mother, but I don't, well, I don't in the credits, what's the... Experiment. What's he, oh, experiment in the credits. Mm. But you'd be forgiven for calling it Mother. And there's a bunch of foam and uh, protoplasm that comes mm. out of a mouth, and inside there, inside an orb, is the face of Bob. Mm. Now, there's some other stuff in there that looks like some speckled eggs and other stuff. Well, one of those speckled eggs looks like something that we see later on in the episode nestled in the sands in the desert in New Mexico. I I had wondered if what she was spewing out was actually the the prototype of Garmin Bosia as well, Mm. um, or the building blocks of of Garmin Bosia. I also thought she bore a striking resemblance to the white figure in the glass box. Oh, I can only presume that it... I presumed it was the glass... The, the figure in the glass box. I wonder if it might be linked to the figure on the card, the drawing on the card that is oh, not, yeah. that is heard not the, that there are some little horns on the some side little of horns. her head. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Also, uh, I saw a freeze frame of the experiment, mm. and the experiment's arms bend back. Huh. Wow. Yeah. What, you mean like her backwards elbows? The elbows backwards. are like so jointed the, backwards, the least. experiment's thumbs are... Sometimes my arms bend back. Thumbs mean that the arms are bending back. That's Fucking boom, listeners. <laughs> yeah, get that. your mind around Man, that. Man, that's just um, rendered us all speechless. So I guess the next thing we need to address is we've come down through all of this, either on the micro or macroscopic level, back to a familiar, well, familiar, uh, setting from <laughs> part three. We've got this dark, dark ocean the depths of which we've probably not yet plumbed, and then we come across an Art Deco place there, which also seems to have these weird conducting bell structures, like yes. the stuff that we saw on yeah. that asteroid or in that room in uh, in Part 3. It's almost exactly the same bell. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. That and it seems like this place has got more than one of them. It's, it's got it's at, at least, least three. three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which um, seems to lend credence to... Before when I when I had thought that the bell was the exact same dimensions as 
the side portal and the new the room in New York City. Mm. So mm. each one of these bells is a, a way into the real world. Uh, it, so, it could be. The, uh, one thing I will say is that when we finally get into that cinema part, which looks like this beautiful Art Deco cinema, um, minus all the chairs that have been removed, mm. there's actually you, you do see two in one shot there. And one of them is clearly bigger than the other. Yes, so, but that that's doesn't true. discount your theory. But, but and and then the one that Laura, the Laura Palmer orb goes through is longer than all the others. So I, I oh yeah, think that's still a bell type. Oh, you think situation. that's yeah? Oh, that, yeah. So that's that, to me, I thought it was more like some sort of medieval musical instrument. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a sort of proto saxophone looking thing. But then, so. but then I guess what else is a bell other than a musical instrument? Yeah. Oh, that's deep. <laughs> so deep. <laughs> so deep. Yes. I'm in, I'm in a, a purple ocean of depth. <laughs> you are plumbing the depth. That's <laughs> so sure. we've got we've got six question marks there. We've also got um, Senorita Dido, as she is credited. Um, Senor Jorka. <laughs> Mate, oh! 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 oh, hello. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Oh. Mines were just That's blown. twice yeah. in, in four minutes <laughs> you've done that to us. There you go. So this is why you don't invite uh, improvisers to these type of things because they come up with something which they is, is you know it's meant to be funny and a bit of a throwaway line, and you realise, oh shit, that's deep. <laughs> just blow my own mind. <laughs> yeah, outstanding. I just love that it was just this beautiful 1920s Art Deco cinema. It's like um, we've got a cinema in Sydney over on the North Shore, the Cremorne Orpheum, where it's got that sort of same kind of look about yeah, it. Yeah, it does. I just thought it's this beautiful, gorgeous old place, and for a cinemaphile like me and clearly a master of cinema like David Lynch, it seems perfect. Of course you're going to set... If you're going to make a setting anywhere where it's weird and creepy and, and cool looking, why the hell not make it into something that looks like that? And But it's not the first time that David Lynch has used that kind of vintage cinema um, thing. I think it was in Eraserhead as well, wasn't it? You might be right. I've not seen Eraserhead in probably 20 years. I so. have a feeling it's in Eraserhead as well. You might be right. Again, some sort of distortion, though. So the the jazz track that Senorita Dido and mm. uh, is listening to on the gramophone is not. There's some distortion of the track, n- not dissimilar to the distortion of noise in the the red room that Coop goes through in part three. Yep. Um, so the, again, the, these it, to me it seems like maybe these places are you know. An adjacent universe, if not the same. Yeah, where time and space flows differently, and there's yeah, there's different uh, time. Time is different, which we've seen in part three, and also space is different yeah. in part three, where you're in a large room. Oh my god! But yeah. then by the time you crawl up the ladder Absolutely. out there, all of a sudden the box is actually like the size yeah. of like this room that we're in right now. But yeah. then like it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And so you go back through, and you're in a different. And room. you're in the back yeah, in a different exactly room, and right. different people, and yeah. Do you guys think that the land the the Home of the Giant that we saw in this episode is the same place as we saw at the very beginning of part one, where the giant is with Cooper, the gramophone is there, it's in black and white, so a lot of the same aesthetics. Yep. Uh, and the giant says, you are very far away, Cooper disappears. I believe it is. You reckon it is? Yeah. I don't know. But it, well, it's hard to say. Well, hard to say anything with certainty, but it's shot the same. Same props. There's the same, uh, you know, touchstones there. So I, it's hard to see why it wouldn't be. Yeah, there. yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah. And to be fair, Cooper is not there corporeally. Like he's, he's physically not there. It seems to be like some sort of uh, like a Star Wars hologram sort of thing. Because when he leaves, he kind of just like bzz, bzz, and fuzzes out and disappears. Like he doesn't leave his chair, walk out the room, and go somewhere else. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We we may find out that there's. I, I still think that that could be a. A flashback or yes. something yeah, yeah. that the 
but but we're going to find. I agree. I don't way. think that the passage of time yeah. is is linear yeah. in the, in those scenes. Mm. Yeah. So Laura Palmer, the creating a mm. spewing out some golden lava out of your forehead yep. that turns into a ball that's got Laura Palmer in it, and, and that's. Yeah, and not before those gold particles form into shapes, which to me, and maybe this is like maybe me looking at clouds and going, oh, there's a bunny, mm. um, a, a tree mm. or, yep. or a, a female reproductive system. Oh, Ooh. yeah, right. So you're looking at ovaries and mm. fallopian tubes and stuff like that. And that sort of giving birth to this perfect gold ball. Oh, wow, that's, that's I cool. did notice some patterns. Now, I couldn't put anything to them. To me, they looked a little bit like some of those, um, those glyphs that you see. Um, where is that place? Uh, where there's an indigenous culture that made these glyphs and they're all sort of quite elaborate. It might even be in Arizona or New Mexico, but it's only you can see them only if you're from the point of view of a UFO or from the point of view of being in the air. And on the ground, they don't look like anything, but from the air, you can realise, oh, that looks like um, a guy playing a little uh, flute or that looks like... Um, it's Go be... look a bunny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look. Were they glyphs or were they JPEGs? <laughs> oh, <laughs> boy, that's <laughs> bad. Oh, Lord. Um, so, yeah, so there are definitely patterns there. But, yeah, so this new Laura Palmer, the Laura Orb. So what I find interesting about that is everything that has we've, we know about Twin Peaks and Laura Palmer's history would would not support the idea of the character of Laura Palmer being the essence of goodness, but um, perhaps uh, it, what it really does represent is the perfect counterpoint to Bob, what you send to... To, to counter to Bob, Bob or, to, to counter. or to find the balance, because we talked about balance a couple of parts ago, mm. the balance between... Well, a balancing fact for Bob. Yeah, yep. yeah. Also reminds me of the original Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and how the whole point was... Mr. Hyde is the epitome of evil, mm. but it's not like that means Dr. Jekyll is good. He's just a normal human being. That's, just trying to deal with the stuff. That, yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. the evil flip side doesn't mean that it's it's of uh, pure innocence and pure goodness. Yeah. And obviously also the it's an indicator that Laura Palmer has a physical form, but also there is a spiritual. So going back to... So two, where mm. Laura, the, where the Laura Palmer ghost or the Laura Palmer uh, spirit says, I, "I'm dead and yet I live." Mm. Yeah. Maybe mm. there are others of her out there, ones that didn't lose the fight, so to speak, ones that didn't get corrupted. And yeah. Please let well, Becky well, Burnett be that. <laughs> That's or, all I can hope for. That she's going to fight the evil that is her husband. Or Stephen, you know, maybe skank. maybe this is a trinity of sorts where you've got Bob and Laura, and maybe the missing piece in that trinity is Coop. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah. I'll buy that. <laughs> we're, we're Sorry, all, I've just floored you there. Yeah. Just, yeah. just quiet contemplation of that's a that mm. could be it. All right. So the final thing that we need to take care of is that we are back in New Mexico. Except it's not 1945 anymore. It's 11 years later. Now, it doesn't say where we are in New Mexico, I don't think. No, it just says New, Mex- just says New Mexico. It's in New Mexico somewhere. And we've got, we're introduced to the character of this uh, young boy and a young girl, credited as girl, in brackets, 1956, boy, in brackets, 1956. Maybe they've been to a dance or they've been to a... I think they've just been on a date. Yeah. Did you like that song? Yeah, I like that song. They were just you know, talking the way that kids talk. Kids do. Uh, Good, clean, innocent 1950s fun. Yeah, and then the girl spots something. You, I think you were mentioning about this. She bends over and she picks, oh, she picks up, up a, a shiny penny. Yeah. And it lands heads up. Well, it, it's heads up, which she sees as, as a good luck 
a sign of good luck. This is not... We've seen so many coins yeah. already. Well, at least one other. Uh, so well, we've seen the one in the, the toilet stall. Yep. Which I must make an apology. I think I said in a previous episode that, well, there's no coins that have got an Indian's head on it, a buffalo on it, whatever. There is, it turns out there's a thing called a buffalo nickel. I had to look it up. Yeah, we knew, we knew that, though. <laughs> the hell you did. <laughs> <laughs> hell you did. Uh, it was made, I think, want to say in the 1920s or 30s. You totally doubted me, though. I did, I did. It's if, Look, if you ever find one, it's worth 10 times than the actual face value of the nickel. Well, so. <laughs> so it's worth an entire 50 cents. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, apparently it's a real thing. Yeah. So, and obviously a coin landing, being found heads up, led to good luck for Hawk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As well. Yeah. And we've seen uh, Red flipping a coin and doing some coin tricks and some that sort of stuff. Yeah. Head, heads, I heads win, I win tails, tails you lose. lose. So, yeah. Um, I've got a funny feeling that this kind of serendipity is probably going to yep. figure throughout this thing. Yep. It doesn't lead to anything here, but, um, yeah. Let's talk about where it all gets weird. So they were, <laughs> let's, let's go back and yeah, let's go exactly. And I think this was around about the the point where I just checked the the time signature on the. Yeah. So I was like, "Wow, this has been freaking weird for forty six <laughs> minutes right now." Can we just have something normal that happens, <laughs> like the birth of a small? Uh, what are we calling it? So I was calling it a. Uh, you, I think you called it a frog roach. I called it a frog roach. Yeah, I think... But all- then you said there was something phallic about it, so I'm wondering if we just call it a cock frog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. He's still got cockroach and frog in there, yeah. Um, I call this thing... Yeah, it's also... It's got to look like a bit of a Jiminy Cricket vibe about it. Mm. Hatch... Well, also, or a, a frog and a locust. So, obviously, locusts, there are biblical sort of references to plagues of locusts and things and like frogs. that. And if there are a few... Yeah. yeah. So, there are... I think, actually, throughout this episode, notwithstanding David Lynch's predilection for eastern um philosophies there there are a few biblical references through this as well yeah mm. yeah for sure um but the um but i, I also thought notably is that frog roach frog roach dick frog <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> came out of what i thought was probably the best special effects use of a potato yeah i thought it was gold <laughs> that was fantastic um the i know we've been sort of banging on about the special effects but the special effects here are phenomenal. Like, they are actually properly pretty good. Like, um, this thing, which could not be... So, I'm just... This is the animation brain. Well, they kind of are not. The, it, this, but this thing would actually be hard to animate because there's, you're not like, it's not like you can look at reference footage of existing animals because this is some sort of weird chimera of, of these two things put together, frog's back legs and an insect's six legs at the front, mm. and you've got the buzzing cicada wings. Hats off to whoever the animated way, this stuff. Like, moved was... So creepy. Oh, properly creepy. Oh, it was creepy. gross. Yeah, My yeah. skin actually crawled. Yeah. And the sound, the, again, with David Lynch doing the, the sound design, uh, all of that was just, yeah, yep. just, yeah. So are we in agreement that this is one of the outputs of the stuff that experiment vomited? My theory is that it is, but what we saw as the orb of Bob's face I think this is the original form of Bob. So I think this this itself is is the first way that Bob made his way into the world. Interesting. Ooh. He does get in... Well, so anyway, he does get inside the girl that we've just seen on the day. Does anyone want to speculate who the, who the guy and the girl might be? Given that they're probably oh, 16 in... 1956. So, they were born in 1940. So I'm thinking it's possibly Sarah Palmer, or the late woman who, be, the person who becomes Sarah Palmer. I'm, I'm okay with Sarah Palmer. I'm not sure about who the mm. boy is. So I've read some stuff that maybe it's it's a Leland. 
I'm still not sure. There's nothing in, in what I've seen so far to make me think that it is. No, no, at this point it'd be speculation, but like I want I like I want it to be Mr. and Mrs. Briggs. Oh, I want it to be Leland and <laughs> You just Sarah want Betty Briggs to come back. Yeah, there was no one in the original Twin Peaks that stood out to me as being 50, like a, a, particularly a, a couple. Yeah. Um, the, I always got the impression that Sarah and Leland and Norma and Big Ed were all around about the same age, which was around about 40 or so. Oh, I um, thought they were a, bit, a little bit older. I kind of was if, they had t- if they had an 18-year-old daughter... So... Just doing the maths, they must have been. So I, I, I thought they'd had a had a early. I mean, to I be know fair, I had I had a crazy but... spiral. I had I had a crazy ass perm in the eighties, and it probably made me look about ten years <laughs> older as well. So yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, all of that is speculation. Let's just get to uh, some of the the last of the stuff that we see. So wood, woodsmen appear out of the sky and make their way. They descend. They start terrorizing the residents like something out of well, a nineteen. Terrorizing is a bit much. Bro just wants a light. I know. Just if they'd given him a light, he wouldn't have needed to crack some heads. That's right, exactly. Why? Yeah. Again, these guys, uh, they've got the static in their voice and they've got clearly there's some electricity there, but all they're looking for is fire. Fire, walk with me. They just want to, yeah. they want to be reconnected with the element of oh, fire. Oh, and, you know, surely that poem or that sort of oh, those God. lines. This you know, is the water. <laughs> this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes and dark within. Oh, that's creepy. That's it's the one. Stop, stop. I actually won't be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> um, it took me very, very many, many listens to understand drink full and I didn't get that last Descend. word. Descend. Descend. It took me a long time to sort of pick yeah, that up. Yeah, so even on the inter- I went to the internet this week mm. and I've seen a few um, references where they have looked at and uh, called it The End. Or mm. endless end. Mm. Um, a lot of saying to send. Did you? Now you're a fan of turning on closed captioning. Did you do that this week? No, I didn't. Just because my my faith in closed captioning. <laughs> well, the whole Lancelot Manzella uh, debacle, which we talked about in, in uh, previous episodes, it's put me off putting any faith or trust yeah. that this is the this is the canonical uh, explanation of what's going on. Having said that, if I put it on, I'd probably say descend. Somebody, either somebody... word actually works. So descend or endless end actually mm. in the to me would work. Someone uh, posited that maybe they said alternated between drinkful and ascend and drinkful and descend. Mm. Oh, but, I'm not uh, sure. I think this, when, if you sort of think about those sort of, mind you, they're very Judaic or very Christian sort of themes of sort of going up, ascending to heaven and descending into hell, mm. I think it's very much a descend. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it also means just like, it could just be one of those mantras that you just want people to fall asleep so you know you're getting sleepy you're getting you're as sleepy. we yeah. say the 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 first the, the bit that stuck with me the most or the that seemed to have the most literal truth to it is the first part of the poem this is the water and this mm. is the well seems to be saying so much uh, the world is where we can drink but what's throughout the world is what's nurturing us so it's almost like the the, the water and the well are the uh, one and the same, and that mm. is the people that are all around them. Yeah. Um, I think t- mm. there's so much here that it's it's hard, without any sort of further context, it's hard to kind of, we're just sort of speculating. It's weird that we've got another horse symbolism here where we've seen white horses before. Yeah. And uh, and the did you notice the horse sound effect at the very end? Mm. Of the yeah, very end just before the credits so, roll. Yeah. 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 So there's something going on here. Um is it weird that I find the woodsman more likable than Chad? 
<laughs> I don't like Chad, but the woodsman scares the shit out of me. And I, look, I wasn't kidding about um, the actor who plays the God of Light woodsman looking remarkably like Abraham Lincoln. I mm. think actually in his real life, I think his name is Robert Brodsky. Um, he is actually a well-known Lincoln impersonator. But And I'm not saying that there is a coincidence the coin that girl 1956 finds is a penny and the head of the penny is Abraham Lincoln. Ooh. That is phenomenal. So it could just be a crazy coincidence. Mm. It, it could, could be, be it just could a little be. red herring for all the fanboys to, you know, get excited about and celebrate no, it is, over. But he did, like, I was even thinking that, like, he's, um, he looks a lot like Daniel Day-Lewis being Abraham Lincoln. In other words, <laughs> in other words, he looks like Abraham, Abraham Lincoln is what I'm saying. Funnily um, enough, I thought he, he looked like a younger Harry Dean Stanton, who's the, car- the actor that plays Carl uh, Rod. Now, yeah. I don't think that that's intentional by any means. But no. Well, he has been smoking for 75 was, years. So. <laughs> <laughs> Every day for 75 yeah. years. When, Although, he can, when he can get a light, when he can when actually, he can get actually get a light. Exactly. So just on Carl Rod, I think we were talking maybe a week ago, two weeks ago about Carl saying I've been places and mm. I said, oh, I thought that was just in a very literal sense. You're like, and Phil said, no, 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 this isn't a, you know, he's, he's been places. So I think in the secret history, Carl, Margaret and, and Alan Trahearne went missing as eight-year-olds. Yes, they were the ones that went to the White Lodge. So I just mm. wanted to close that loop that Yes, Phil. Notwithstanding the fact that you were wrong about something else this week, you were right about Carl Road having been places. I think I'm very happy to be wrong about seven things per week and right about two things per week. That's about my par at the moment. Also, speaking of clearing up things and clearing up things to do with Carl Rod, when I was looking through the Secret History book to to work out the the links to this episode, I saw a little piece on Carl Rod in there and. When we were talking about the location of the Fat Trout yes. Caravan yep. Park yep. Um, and saying, I, I was saying, oh, he must have got a new one mm. because uh, I was sure that the other one was... In Deer Meadow. Well, it was in Deer Meadow. Um, the book makes clear that it is the same Caravan Park, but it actually is only about five minutes out of town, but it just must be over county lines. Or That's yeah. yeah okay, okay, that, that makes that sense. sense. That makes because it seems weird. Like because the signage was identical. Like I don't, I don't remember it being. It just had new, just sort of like mm. with a little upside down V. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then whilst while we're wrapping things up, the and talking about sort of what might, the philosophies that underpinned a lot of the the symbols in this episode, this part, the um, uh, cock frog mm, wandering yep. into girl into girl's <laughs> mouth. Uh, a cockfrog known what a cockfrog what it does oh, exactly yeah. what a cockfrog um, what a, that's, that's a good that's a good description of Chad <laughs> yeah, really. what a fucking Chad and what a fucking cockfrog and and woodsman uh, got a light woodsman chanting this is the water this is the well I think you use mantra that's probably a really good yes. a good description um Stop it! I seriously, I've actually we're recording this at night, and I've actually parked my car in a dark street, and I'm frightened to walk to my car now. That's all right. I'll walk with you. You're gonna fly walk with me. (laughs) (laughs) You can cut right off. Just focus. Just focus for another thirty seconds. I, I have. There are some references or some similarities to the archangel Gabriel speaking to Mary. So oh, again, another yes. biblical reference yeah. yep. that you know you are you are going to um, you'll be with child you'll be with child yep, yep. it'll be an immaculate conception that kind of thing so I just thought it was really interesting so we spent a lot of you know 
there are a lot of Buddhist and Eastern um, themes and symbols and messages throughout Lynch's work, and I just thought some of this Christian stuff was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's tons, and I haven't even just because I um, come from a uh, very quite religious background. Uh, my parents are still ordained ministers, um, so I have been fascinated by religion and mythology uh, for many, many years. So. That might might be an entire other episode, and it's going to probably bore everyone to tears. Uh, but to me, it's really exciting and, uh, and thrilling to view this through the lens of the mythology that these guys are bringing to this stuff. Because there's plenty of stuff there. There's even just flicking through the the Twin Peaks, the Secret History of Twin Peaks books. There's things like um, Satanism of uh, Alistair Crowley and some of the occult mm. things there. Mm. There's uh, Indian mythology in there, obviously. There's uh, Gnosticism. Some of these other sects that draw their influences mm. from early monotheisms like Zoroastrian uh, yeah, religions yeah, and, and uh, themes. So, yeah, I'm sure we'll have plenty to say about that sort mm. of stuff. Absolutely. As well as all the alchemy and all the other Western... Oh, we didn't even get, we haven't even gotten well. started on alchemy. <laughs> Today, this episode would have been a perfect time to do it, but yeah. that, for another time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, generally, I think uh, when I read The Secret History um, around Christmas time, I really liked it. And I know a lot of people read it and were a bit like, what the fuck, this isn't Twin Peaks. Yeah. Like, why are we going into deep into the country's history and why are we going into the, the UFOs and... You mean people what, didn't want to know about the Caucasians? That's, yeah. <laughs> but also there's, the, there's, there's but, uh, Freemasonry and Bavarian yeah, Illuminati. All that, and, all it's, all it's, that yeah. stuff yeah. is touched upon. And at the time that the book came out, that seemed like a very un-Twin Peaks Thing. Whereas now, as we get deep into series three, you really are seeing how the the mythology of Twin Peaks is spreading yeah. out throughout the country yes. and throughout the history of the, yeah. the country. And look, to be fair, I also think that the secret history of Twin Peaks copped a lot of criticism because it had more conspiracy theories in it than a Dan Brown novel. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah oh, it's right. exactly. It's like Umberto Eco or one of those sort of novels where... Um, that the well, decla- it was all the it was all the echo, that's right yeah, yeah. Yeah. in the one book exactly that's it probably- was all of the, yeah. the somehow the Declaration of Independence is linked to the Freemasons which was linked to um, Roswell which is linked exactly to which aliens. seems a bit which, which is a bit clumsy yeah. yeah to be fair but isn't that what they're then, trying to do they're if, trying to if, and if unify they're trying to unify Mark Frost at least I'm guessing this is from his influence is trying to unify a lot of these and if it's and, true that there are some denizens of another world that are that are the watchers and possibly mm. the influences of our history, yep. then maybe all of these things are linked because it's just a central puppet master almost. Yep. You've maybe. totally drunk the Kool-Aid, haven't you? You totally. Just on a quick piece of um, trivia. So the the track that was played in the in the radio station just before Got a Light walked in the door is mm. a track by the Platters. Oh, yeah. My Prayer. Yeah. The founding member and member till the day he died, member of the Platters, was David Lynch. What? Whoa! Look it up. That's bonkers. That's so cool. And that song did come out in 1956. Oh, right. So it is mm. of the period. It wow. Is, yeah. That is phenomenal. And so I went through the lyrics to see if there was some reason why that particular song had been chosen, but it's quite possible it was chosen because it was a platter song released in 1956 where the, mem- the member of the band was David Lynch. But I think there are some lyrical, there are some lyrical things that tie in there. Um, about, I want to say, going to sleep or... Um... They, well, I wrote, I wrote the first verse, actually, because I actually think it's quite beautiful anyways. My prayer is to linger with you at the end of the day in a dream that's divine. My prayer is a rapture in blue with the world far away and your lips close to mine. Yeah. And there's some further uh, reference of 
that the birds are all gone. Yes. Again, uh, that's a bl- very blue velvet sort of thing. Yeah. Um, we're tying back to there's always music in the air and the birds sing a pretty song. Again, I don't know how much of this stuff we're reading in it because if you put symbols together, our brains want to connect the dots. We're putting all the conspiracy theories together into one. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. what we do. Well, I think that might just about wrap it up for uh, this one. For an episode that we joked uh, when we first saw part eight, we said, well, this will be a short podcast. There's nothing to talk about. It's just a bunch of weird stuff. Uh, boy, we certainly have uh, pushed the boat out on this one. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, and we'll see you again next time for part nine. Later, cockfrogs. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Damn Fine Commentary with Dave and Lynch. For the complete list of show notes and all the links, visit our website, daveandlynch.com. And if you like the show, there's two things you can do to really help us out. First, tell all your friends. And second, take a few seconds to rate us on iTunes. It makes a huge difference and helps other people find us. Look, did we miss anything? Do you have a comment, a question or a suggestion? Drop us a line at daveandlynch at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on your social media of choice. We're at twitter.com slash daveandlynch, facebook.com slash daveandlynch, instagram.com slash daveandlynch. <laughs> yep, you get the picture. We're everywhere. Thanks for listening. <laughs>